Well, good morning, church. I think uh, I think there was nothing embarrassing, missing the point. I I was listening to uh, Skip up here, just continue to to keep worship going, and and Mike was giving an announcement, but Mike was in the zone. Mike was in worship, man. His head was down. He's like, the, the music's playing, and I could see Skip up here giving the cue to somebody. He's like, where? Who's coming? You know? So I had to come up and give him the football tap. Come on, baby. Get in there. Um, that's good stuff. Before we get started this morning, I want to make a special prayer that was requested to me this morning. So um, we're going to just lift someone up. Father... I lift up Danny and Jason to you right now, Lord. Danny was an attended church here from her childhood, Lord God. And, and I lift up that family to you right now, Lord God. It, it would appear that you're closing a door for them here, but there's an opportunity that you're opening a larger door for them somewhere else, Lord God. And we believe that that's what you're going to do, Lord God. We're going we're gonna to hope on that, Lord. We're going to be expecting on that, Lord God. So I pray right now, Lord, that you encourage the family, Lord God, that you show them that your hand is, is protecting them, Lord, that you're carrying them, Lord, and open the door that they need, Lord. We pray and we lift them up. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think I was talking up here last year when the world's strongest man was in Sacramento. And today is the last day of the world's strongest man in Sacramento. They're not coming back in my lifetime. And I won't go today. I was bummed, right? I was bummed. But um, the only day I had available this week to go down to the world's strongest man was Friday. So I told my wife, I said, I called her on Thursday and I said, hey, I said, I got a 9 a.m. appointment in Placerville. You can go with me, sit in the car, hang out. When I finish the appointment, we'll go back to the Capitol building and we'll watch World's Strongest Man. She got all excited, like ladies night out, right? I checked the World's Strongest Man schedule. It was the only off day they had this week. So the, com- the competitive qualifying days were Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They rested Friday and then they started again yesterday. And we had made a commitment to friends that we were going to go and visit a, a, a celebration, and, um, and our son was coming up. So we look at what's important in life, right? I would love to be a world's strongest man right now. It's not coming back. I'd love to be there today. But this is what's important. And I got stuff going on after this for the rest of the day that technically I could move and bump and do world's strongest man. But my life is more important than some things that people make such extravagant things in their life, right? So I'm not going to be there today, and that's okay. Thank you. Oh, man, I feel better now. Yeah, the church is more important. My family's more important. It really is. I know they did. They sent me pictures midweek. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> no, hey. I was glad to get those pictures because I knew somebody was there in heart and spirit, and they were sending me pictures. Um, sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry. You see that picture? Sibling rivalry. There's a sibling rivalry going on right now at World's Strongest Man, the Stoltman brothers. Top of the sport, man. They're both, from, uh, they're both Scottish, and they are two monsters. And the brother, the younger, the younger brother won last year. World's Strongest Man. He was World's Strongest Man champ here in Sacramento. So uh, they're up again today in the finals against, obviously competing against each other. But sibling rivalry, right? 
They can be good, they can be positive, they can be encouraging, or they can be rough. Sibling conflict, a little different than sibling rivalry. Anybody sibling conflict? Woo! I see double hands. Sibling jealousy. None of us would be jealous, right? I'm jealous. Sibling jealousy? Sibling favoritism? Ooh. I just opened up the emotional can of, uh-oh. Sibling favoritism. Well, I mean, I got some good things to talk about today, no matter what side of the coin you lie on. I got some great, great bullet points today and some great scripture. Anyone here grow up in a divisive atmosphere? Sometimes a divisive atmosphere created by the parents. Why? Sibling favoritism? Hmm. How about this one? Did anybody here grow up and create the divisive atmosphere? I'm number one in this house. I'm the favorite. Anybody grow up and create that divisive atmosphere and run with it? Anybody grow up the victim of that divisive atmosphere? I'll get some victims. All right. I like it. Anybody here grow up the favorite? Where's my favorites? There they are. There is a civil rivalry going on in the third pew right there. Wait, well, let's see back here. Where we got them? Where's the favorites? All right. Where's all my non-favorites? Anybody here grew up not being the favorite? Oh, where's my non-favorites in the house? I see another civil rivalry going on back here. I see two, two brothers with the dad in the middle. Hands are going up everywhere. This is good stuff. Oh, we're going to get to them too. Did anybody here grow up the only child? I was the only child for a long time. Then my brother came, stole the glory. Yeah, I was like 10 years old. It was like, who's he? Why do we have to have him? I, so I wrote, uh, you ever realize how this affects your self-esteem, whether you were the favorite or the non-favorite? How about regardless of whether you were the favorite or the non-favorite, how it affected the self-esteem of the other person? You, this all affects you. I guess I grew up a favorite. I was the only child for 10 years. 10 years. I had 10 years to build that bond. Put my stake in the ground, right? Like Abraham, when he bought that land, I put my stake in the ground. I'm the favorite. You know, uh, I'm the oldest of, of many grandchildren on both my mom's and dad's side. I'm the oldest of many, many grandchildren. I'm the first. And so is my wife, surprisingly, under her generations. And she's got lots of cousins, and I, so do I. I got lots of cousins. But I'm, I'm the oldest out of all of them. I was like the first for the mom and dad and the grandparents. Um, so I think that sometimes when we look at sibling rivalry and we look at sibling favorites and we look at sibling conflict, 
I believe that sometimes those create lasting legacies of generational blessings and generational curses. It really does. Right here, emotionally, right here. Generational blessings and generational curses. The self-esteem is a lot when it's affected that way. And you can run with it. It can, it can, it can lead you down into a spiral. And I wrote here, I believe... I believe that the pain sometimes of that can lead some of us on either, either side of the fence. I was the favorite, I'm not the favorite. I was more loved, I was not as loved. And they harm us emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. And a lot of people in this modern day and age, drugs and alcohol is where they find their solace. You know, that's, that's what we're dealing with. I met with a city mayor a while back. And I think I shared this with you guys. And he told us what the needs of the community were. How many people can really say sometimes when you ask yourself, what are the needs here? They have the mayor tell you to your face, this is everything we got and this is where we're lacking. This is what we don't have. This is the need of the community. Our mayor's need, he said, we need to reach out to the young people. He told me, we don't have anything for young people in Yuba City. Nothing. He's like, we got treatment programs everywhere for drugs and alcohol. We've got, you know, people feeding the homeless. He's like, which he doesn't like. Because sometimes when you begin to feed the homeless, if you have a place here in town seven nights a week that feeds the homeless, guess what you do? You gave a man a fish and you didn't teach him to fish and every night he's going to come back for more fish. And stop giving, stop going out and doing those things. Stop giving that guy $5 at the corner at Winco every day when you drive by because all that you're doing is you're encouraging him to wait for your five bucks tomorrow too. And I was like, wow, I heard a Christian tell me this. One of our professors in the Western Ministry Foursquare Institute talking about missions and reaching out into the community. And I was thinking about all the needs. So anyways, it's just something to think about. And a lot of this can stem from our childhood, that emotional development growing up, that sibling rivalry, sibling conflict, sibling favoritism. And people end up drugs, alcohol, all kinds of things. It's what we deal with today. We saw in our study of Abraham, yes, Skip was right, I would say Abraham again. I wrote it in my notes to remind myself to tell him and acknowledge that he said last week, Oh, you'll talk about Abraham again. (laughs) So we did see in our uh, series with Abraham that there was a generational legacy of blessing and curse between two sons who were treated very differently by their father. Can anybody name the two sons? Ishmael and Isaac. Two sons. Two sons with generational blessings, but one with a curse. One with a curse. Firstborn with a curse. The firstborn. The illegitimate child. Treated like an illegitimate child, was he not? Ishmael, who was Abraham's actual firstborn blood child, was treated harshly and discarded as an illegitimate child because of Sarah and her jealousy and distaste for Hagar, her maidservant. Remember that? Okay. This is his son, and this is the way he was treated. And when Isaac came along, you know he was no longer the favorite. You know he was no longer daddy's favorite. 
and they had two different moms, so he was only good to the, he was only his mother's favorite. Ishmael was blessed for many generations to come. He also had a multitude of descendants, yes? But he was also cursed. Lots of rivalry with the Israelites over time. And today, the descendants of Ishmael are your modern-day Muslim faith. So to this day, there's still that still generational blessing yet curses carried on. Isaac, on the other hand, was blessed for many generations. But he wasn't cursed. He was given a, a legacy blessing, a lasting blessing to this day. To this day. There's a divide that occurs in a household that begins with the parents. That's the world that we live in today. It begins with the parents. It really does. I'm a parent. I'm guilty of this. We're all parents. I think I could be wrong. You'd pull me aside after and be like, I would never have done that. Fantastic. My hat's off to you. I'm a parent. There's favoritism. There's grace and there's mercy not displayed equally in households. Never. Thank you. I needed my confirmation. They all need something different. That's, 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 that's the truth in parenting. There's a divide that occurs in the household that begins with the parents. Abraham did a poor job of protecting his son Ishmael. He really did. Remember, I talked about a lot of character flaws from Abraham. Yeah, we're all over Abraham, buddy. I talked about a lot of character flaws with Abraham. He did a poor job of protecting his son Ishmael. And Isaac, in the following story, will favor Esau over Jacob. We learn from both of these stories that being the favorite or not favorite doesn't really matter in God's kingdom. Amen? Because I got a lot of people who raised your hand and said you weren't the favorite and you weren't the first. That's okay. We're going to find that out. As the not favorite in this story will become the father of God's chosen nation, Israel. Esau and Jacob. Jacob will later be renamed Israel. and His 12 sons are the 12 tribes. So the blessing confirmed the divided nature We picked back up where we left off last week in Genesis 25 because the story took a shift. We left Abraham and we moved into the story of Isaac. So that's why I stopped last week at verse 18. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Sound familiar? And the Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. That's something interesting, because that's not something that Sarah did. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. 
So when, days, when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. Where's all my reds? Yeah, there we go. Where's all my reds? Get all my reds in the house. Get all my reds. And first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Another 20-year wait for children. 40 years old, Isaac begets a wife. 20 years she was barren. 20 years. Now, we wouldn't say that she was in the uh, Sarah age range of having children, but it took 20 years to have children. That must have been a hard 20 years. It says, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Sibling rivalry? Sibling conflict? Sibling favoritism? Even divisiveness between the parents on the favorites. Now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came. Now I love this story, man. Abraham, it was like 12, 13, 14 chapters. It's like right here, we like jump, boom. We went from childhood to old age. They're not old, but. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. I am hungry. I haven't eaten in, let's see, you can go three days, three minutes without air, three days without water, and about 30 days without food and you'll die. So I don't know how long he was famished or how long he had been out hunting or why he was so hungry, but he was to the point that he exclaims, I was at the point of death. He says, look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. I tried to, get, I tried to dive deep into that story and pull as much as I could out of it, so I've got a lot of good little notes uh, for you guys to take home and think about. First thing I pulled out of this story was God again, supernaturally. Remember, we do what we can in the natural. We let God do the supernatural. This is second time, same family. God again, supernaturally provided a son for Isaac. Sons. I'm sorry. I saw that in my notes. Sons. He provided sons for Isaac. Well, I've got this way too close. From twice barren, from twice barren, nations were rooted. 
So God took something that just looked dead, a dead womb, and out of it came nations of people. So God again supernaturally did what he did. What's Chris's statement? You do what you can in the natural and let God do the supernatural. That's what I do every, that's how I live my life every day. That's how I live every day of my life. Let's look at these two stories. Abraham heeded his wife's voice and went to Hagar. Abraham listened to his wife when the blessing wasn't happening, when the promise wasn't taking place. Isaac, unlike his father, prayed and God responded. Isaac was waiting 20 years. He didn't go a different route. He waited. Second thing I got out of this, the lasting battle for supremacy began in the womb. That's what childhood sibling rivalry and sibling conflict really looks like. The battle for supremacy. And this battle between these two guys started in the womb. So much so that there was such violence taking place within her stomach that she prayed to God what was going on. Right? This rivalry started within the womb. She inquired of the Lord and he answered, did he not? If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. She inquired of the Lord and he answered, how often when you're waiting on the promise of God or something doesn't make sense, do you actually first go to the Lord? Honestly. I don't want your answer. I want you to ask yourself that question. Because if you're perfect, you do it every time. But if you're human like the rest of us, it may not be the first thing you do. We won't go into the morning rituals. I've got a lot of friends. They're like, the first thing I do is I get up and I hit my knees and I pray to God in the morning. And I thank him for another day. I'm like, dude, the first thing I do is look around and find my medicine container. I take some medicine. I grab my water. I wander around the house. I have a cup of coffee. Me and God, we don't talk for a long time. So when you tell me that the first thing that you do is get up and hit your knees and pray, my hat is off to you. That's an excellent behavior. Because at my house, that's Pastor Chris. At my house, it's not the way we go down in the morning. Me and God don't start really talking until I've probably had coffee and collectively some thoughts have stopped rolling around in my head. Right? <laughs> she inquired of the Lord when something was wrong, though. See, I have to figure out what's wrong. What's wrong is my alarm went off and I have to go to work. That's a problem. Amen. I've always been that way. I, I get up two hours before I have to leave every day. I don't know why. I could probably get ready in 26 minutes, but I get up two hours before I leave every day. That's because it takes 40 minutes for the coffee to kick in before I can activate. 
What happened? What was, what was, when she inquired of the Lord and he answered, what did he tell her? He said, two nations will be conceived. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. You see a lot of that going on in households sometimes, yes? How come he's taller than me? How come he's hairy and I'm not? How come he's got a beard and I don't? How come she's pretty and I'm not? Sibling comparisons. Where do you think all that emotional self-esteem starts from? You're so handsome. You're so handsome. You look good too, honey. (laughs) You are so handsome. Right? Where did it start? It starts with the parents. So these twin names had... Great significance for the future. Here's more bullet. Just these are nuggets. I I, I get. I try to strip a lot of nuggets out of here. Surface area, but definitely nuggets for you to take home. Things you read over and you just glaze by. The twin names had great significance for the future. Esau meant red and hairy. What a name. Jacob, may he protect was selected because of its connection to sounding like the word heel, also meaning one grabs the heel. But the name Jacob means may he protect. Very interesting wordplay was used for the first twin, for Esau. Very interesting wordplay. The name, I've got, these are some great bullet points I pulled out of, a, um, out of a, uh, a, a, another book. But The name Esau has a very loose connection with the word seer which was the early name for Edom to the southeast of the Dead Sea where Esau later lived. The Hebrew word red is related to the word Edom, and Harry is similar to Seir. Those words and names were prophetically chosen to portray the nature of Edom, a later uh, arch-rival of Israel. Interesting. Moving on. I got something in my notes here. Sadly, sadly. Things of great spiritual value are often handled in profane or crafty ways. Read that again, Chris. Sadly, things of great spiritual value are often handled in profane or crafty ways. Some people treat spiritual and eternal things with contempt, for they see them as of no value. Esau? And others, though regarding such things highly, make the higher cause serve themselves through craft and manipulation. Jacob? Jacob manipulated that situation. Read it. Read the story seven times if you have to today. Jacob was a master manipulator. He waited. He wanted that birthright. You think he just thought of the birth? You think when his brother walked in and said he was hungry that out of nowhere he goes, well, birthright, uh, um, you're hungry. You know your birthright, I think I'll take your birthright. I'll feed you, but you got to give me the birthright. I just realized today I think I want that. No. He was not the favorite by his father. He knew he was not in line to receive the blessings of the father, right? In that time, the firstborn got all the blessings. The firstborn took most of everything. He wanted those things. He was jealous. And he did it very crafty. 
It says, and others, though regarding such things highly, he knew, how, he knew the value. Jacob knew the value. Make, high, make the higher cause serve themselves through craft and manipulation. Esau and Jacob are examples of both types. Both of these brothers. Esau had it all. He was bigger, stronger, faster, hunter, hairy, handsome. He had it all going on. In a man's world. He had it all going on. He knew he was the firstborn. He knew that the blessings were going to be his. But to him it was unimportant. He didn't really hold or care about the value of what he had. Esau did not value his birthright or God's promise. He was the firstborn and he was more valued by his father. He was more valued by his father. How do you think that made Jacob feel? Every boy wants to be valued by his father. Every boy. Every boy wants to be valued by his father. He wants to be loved by his mother, but he wants to be valued by his father. And Jacob was not valued by his father. Esau was more valued. Jacob was promised to be great before birth. If mommy loved Jacob and favored Jacob, do you think she told Jacob the prophecy that God revealed to her in the womb? What do you think? 100%. That's okay, baby. God told me big things are going to happen for you. 4A, Esau was the firstborn. So, again, do you think when Jacob felt unloved and unvalued by his father that him and his mom didn't have 77 conversations a year about it? She told him, God told me big things are going to happen through you. So he already knew that. Birthright opportunity pops up, and what does he do? He manipulates it and takes it. It was like, ooh, there's the door. That door just opened up. Jacob was promised to be great before birth. Jacob had prophecy over his greatness. God portrayed that to his mother. And Jacob was more loved by his mother. Sibling rivalry, sibling conflict. What do you think it was like for Esau to not feel his love by his mom? I just told you a second ago. Every boy wants to be valued by his father and he wants to be loved by his mother. Do you see that they both were missing a quality from one of two parents? Both boys were missing a quality from one of the two parents. Both of them. Bullet point six. Two brothers, two different visions. If that wasn't easy to figure out. Some of my bullet points are like, I already knew he was going to say that. So you know what I do sometimes? I try to use like big fancy words. Like, I'm going to throw something sneaky in there. So they'll be like, oh no, because that used to happen to me. I'd be like, oh, I know what the pastor's going to put there. And I'd write a word and then he'd say something different. I'd be like, oh, scratch it out and fix it. Two brothers, two different visions. What were the different visions? 
Esau focused on the physical world and the now. Maybe this was cause and effect. Value of the father knew he was getting the blessing, complacency, and not loved by the mother. He focused on the physical world and the now. Jacob focused on the spiritual blessing in the future. Mom loved him and told him all about that prophecy. I got some final notes here. We're running out of time. Esau was willing to give up everything. He did. Esau was willing to give up everything because he did not trust on the God of his ancestors to provide for him. He went to Jacob, feed me. I'm going to die. Sell me your birthright. Uh, you know what? God's going to feed me another way. I got to go. Nope. That's not what happened, is it? He didn't sit there and say, I'm going to go talk to mom. I'm going to go talk to dad. I'm going to go out to the herdsman. Somebody's got some food around here somewhere that's not going to cost me my birthright. <laughs> he didn't do that. He didn't trust God. He thought what would good... He thought, what good would the blessing be to him if he starved? You heard it in the story. I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Right? That's what he said. He only thought about the now. And he gave away his most prized possession for a temporary fix. I've eaten like, I couldn't tell you, an oatmeal, a strawberry parfait, two cheese bites, and a donut from the other room. I'm already hungry again. I'm already sitting up here while we're talking and I'm thinking about lunch. True story. This guy gave up everything he had for a temporary fix. For one meal, you guys. I don't know how big the stew was. Maybe it was a week's worth of stew. I don't know. But he was willing to give up what was most important in his life for a temporary fix. You know how many people I know give up their whole entire life, their loved ones, their life, their family, their wives, their children, their jobs, their home, their everything for drugs and alcohol? Temporary fix. I've not met a person to this day that hasn't probably made it to 40 years old with a 20-year drug and alcohol addiction who hasn't now lost everything if they're still there. Lost everything more than once. Willing to let go of everything that's important to you for a temporary fix. His emotional and physical response to life's daily struggle was not the correct response. Amen? His emotional and physical response to life's daily struggle was not the correct response. Jacob, though a quiet and mild man, was a skilled hunter himself, would you say? You had to be if you grew up in that time. Right? Jacob was also a hunter. He just wasn't the hunter that Esau was. These are two brothers, born at the same time, twins. You think Jacob didn't know how to hunt? You think he sat in the house all the time? He was a boy with another boy. Twins, civil rivalry, sibling conflict. Ooh, you killed a 13-pounder? I'm going to kill a 15. He was a hunter too. 
fact, he was such a skilled hunter, he baited Esau in his weakened state like a hungry animal without deception openly, and obviously he put Esau in a position to despise his birthright over his physical state and freely give it to him. He was a quite skilled manipulator and hunter. He was hunting for that birthright. He was hunting for that blessing. Sibling rivalry is something that will occur in every home. We're going to close it up here. Sibling rivalry is something that will occur in every home. There are a few different roads of thought and conviction that today's message will probably send some of you down. Whether you're the sibling or the parent. There's not one, per- There's not one person in this room who's not in some way going to be affected by that. So whichever one it is, God's going to take you down that road to change your heart. That's why he brought you here to hear it. That's how he operates. He doesn't show up here by accident. You can come up here this weekend by accident. Chris didn't plan this message because you were going to be here. I'm just Genesis 19. For those of you who've been here long enough, this is, what, this is where we're at. Nothing in God's world happens by accident. Nothing. So if you're here today and you heard this message, then in some way you're impacted by sibling rivalry, sibling conflict, or you're a parent who shows favoritism and makes some children sometimes feel loved and unloved. It's fact. Maybe it happened 30 years ago. I don't know. But it affects every one of us, including me. God's going to take you down the road to change your heart. Maybe it's a hurt heart. Maybe it's a broken heart. Maybe it's a jealous heart. Maybe it's an unloved heart. Maybe an unwanted heart. Maybe a favored heart. Or maybe a proud heart. Whatever heart it is. Whatever heart you have, God wants to change it. God wants to repair it. God wants to restore it. That's what he does. That's who he is. A lot of people in this room are parents, or one day will be. I always share this. No matter how much we think we love our kids, God is a better parent than we'll ever be, and he loves you better than you can love yourself. God's a better father than I'll ever be, and I love my kids. I love my kids, but God can love me better than that. God won't make me feel favored. He won't make me feel unloved. He won't make me feel unwanted. He'll take me from being broken and put me back together because that's who he is. Because that's what every parent wants to do to their child. Every parent. We love our children. We want to take away their pain. We want to take away their brokenness. We want to take away their rivalry. We don't want them to feel what these two guys felt. We don't. Let's pray.
Lord, you're the best dad we could ever have. Lord, I lift up this family to you, Lord. You love them. You love all of us. You want to repair us no matter which heart we have. You want to make our heart whole when there's a hole in it. We know that you have a plan for generational blessing for us, Lord. That's why you brought us here. You brought us here to be your children, and your children will have a generational blessing, Lord. And that's not a monetary blessing, Lord, or a materialistic blessing. That's knowing that you, the one true God and creator of this entire world who's in control of everything, that you're our God, you're our Father, you're on our side. You want to pick us up and put us back on the bike and push us forward again, Lord. Lord, I thank you, Lord. I pray over this family. I pray over everything that's going to go on in their lives, Lord. I pray over this church. I pray over this church building. I pray over this church's finances, Lord. I pray over our community. I pray over the lost. I pray over the broken, Lord. I pray over those suffering from drug and alcohol dependency, Lord. Those suffering from homelessness, Lord. I know that you want to repair and restore them, Lord God. And they need to hear your message, Lord God. They need to hear your love. I pray over this community. I thank you, Lord. I thank you in advance. Bring everybody here this week back safe next week, Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.